are entering the Freedom Hut. The Mueller probe tries to claim yet another victim who is in the way of the politics of the left. We'll talk about what they've done to Jerome Corsi. Also, Julian Assange met with Manafort, or did he? Looks like the media might have fallen for a massive hoax story right at the point at which it could have been the most damaging if the Mueller probe was winding down. We've got that and an update on the caravan coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The special counsel came in and blew up, and they actually sent me home and gave me an opportunity to review the emails. When I came back, I amended the testimony to say that I now remember the email. And special counsel was happy with that until I couldn't give them what they wanted, which was a connection that I had with Assange that they assumed I had, which I didn't have. Now, suddenly, they forgot they allowed me to amend my testimony, and they're going back to the mistake I made day one when I forgot the email. So it's really, uh, I think, completely fraudulent, uh, the charge that they were trying to get me to plead to, and I refused to plead to a lie. Refused to plead to a lie. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. That's Jerome Corsi who was talking on Tucker's show last night, actually right before uh, I got a chance to chat with Tucker about the caravan. We'll get into that in the second hour tonight. But this is a toxic waste dump of political hits now. That's what the Mueller probe is. It's what we've known it was going to be all along. Now we have more than ample evidence. What is more likely that... The people that keep getting caught in Mueller's crosshairs are so reckless and foolish that they think that they can get away with telling insignificant lies for no reason, or that Mueller and his team of, as the president says, Democratic henchmen, are putting people through the ringer, putting them through this process so that they can find a way to charge them. All in the hopes of accomplishing two things. One, that they can get one of them to flip and finally give that that moment of aha, where Trump and Russia and Hillary really did win. And all that stuff's going to happen. And number two, by just racking up conviction after conviction for process crimes, you can have the idiot brigade of the left in the media MS, NBC, CNN, all the New York Times, Washington Post, they can pat themselves in the back and say, you know, 10 convictions, 20 convictions, 50 convictions. I mean, and I don't care how many Russian Facebook trolls you level charges against when not a single one of them is ever setting foot in a U.S. courtroom and nothing that they did matters to any normal, sane, rational person in terms of the election outcome in 2016, that that's not a victory. There's no aspect of this that you look at and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I could see what could see what they're doing there. That that makes sense. We know absolutely not. This is worse than a scam. This is a travesty. The Mueller probe is destroying our faith 
in the justice system, in the ability of the Department of Justice to function in a highly politicized atmosphere and not give incredibly partisan outcomes that all go in one direction. And, oh, that's right. They favor the party of the state and the statists, the Democrat Party. Jerome Corsi is not going to take this one lying down, it seems. Now, I understand in the past he's been involved with conspiracy theories. I understand that he's not always the most reliable source. He's friends with Roger Stone. I've interviewed Roger Stone. Roger Stone's a pretty weird guy. Does have a giant tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back, which is dedication. You can say that. That is dedication. To what, I can't even tell you, but... But when you look at what's being done to these men, Corsi and Papadopoulos and General Flynn, three decades of service, the United States military, ran the Department, ran the Defense Intelligence Agency, and his thanks for that is to have Yates and McCabe and the rest of the Never Trump hashtag resistance brigade over at DOJ and the FBI find some pretext to ruin his reputation, charge him with a felony, and threaten to charge his son as well. These people stop at nothing. They stop at nothing. And the only boundaries that they respect are the boundaries of, well, if we were to do this or that thing in this investigation, it would look, it, it would be too much and then there might actually be a groundswell of sane support from the American people that goes beyond just those who support Trump, just normal Americans to say this whole thing is a sham. And it is. And notice how it's just all served its purpose for the left this whole time. Oh, it can't be shut down. Oh, they want they want a special law passed to protect Mueller. St. Mueller, they say. Nobody can interfere with his work. His work for what exactly? What is he even looking into at this point? We're going to have our friend Andy McCarthy joining later this hour just to really take stock of all this and what's going on here. Uh, you know, a Andy has had a real progression. I think you'll, well, we'll ask him about this. You recall, if you've been listening to me for a while, he's somebody who in the early days, I, I was always... A little pat on the back for Mr. Buck here. I was always saying, special counsel is a terrible idea. It's unjust. It's unfair. It's a nightmare. And there were a whole bunch of even some pretty, you know, somewhat pro-Trump conservatives who were saying, oh, no, no, we need a special counsel. It's okay. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he was saying, look, we shouldn't have a special counsel. But now that we have one, let's see how it does. And he was not as hard on them as I was from the beginning because I just... I, I, had a, I, could, I had a funky smell. I knew that something was up with them, just as you did, too. And I see this from all your messages and your calls and emails. You've known this all along. Uh, and now we see it in action. But then there's another, another add-in to this whole story, uh, which is, is tough to keep up with. It's just because, on the one hand, you have so much hysteria from the left on this that you know, they'll report breathlessly on something, and you'll say, is that, why is that even of interest to anyone? Why does this get them so excited and so energized? What is it about anything that touches on, for example, uh, you know, 
a person that met with somebody who met with somebody who was once in Russia that could get a normal, sane human being so excited as it does love because they're looking for any desperate shred that they can pull together here to cobble some final narrative of Trump's defeat. That's what they're trying to do. And this is all really about taking back the presidency from a president that they believe is a usurper. I feel like that's more of a term they use in medieval times, right? But he's he's the anti-president to the left. He's not the president. He doesn't count. They don't care that you and I voted for him. They don't care that tens of millions of Americans, over 63 million, I think, voted for this president. They they all think that it was a couple of Russian Facebook puppets and, and a Papadopoulos meeting and Corsi and WikiLeaks. And even if the WikiLeaks theory they have that the campaign reached out to WikiLeaks, even if this is true, it is not apparent to me that any crime was committed. And if we're going to talk about using foreigners for oppo research, guess what? The Hillary Clinton campaign created oppo research with the with the dossier through Fusion GPS that relied almost entirely on foreign sources. Christopher Steele is a foreigner, by the way. Those are always British. Yeah, he's a foreigner. He's not allowed to vote in our election, not allowed to be a part of our election. And he collected information from Russians. These are the people who are going to lecture us on uh, election propriety? I don't think so. I don't think so. And there's other, I just, the more details we get about this Guardian Assange story, uh, the better. I, I, I love this. The Guardian runs with this uh, a day ago. They said that Manafort had secret talks with Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And as I've mentioned to you earlier this week, Assange is not just under lock and key. He cannot leave the embassy, the Ecuadorian embassy. And if he did, he'd be arrested. And trust me, foreign intelligence of all kinds have eyes on that building for a whole bunch of reasons. Assange probably being the very top of the list. Along with law enforcement and journalists and a whole bunch. There is no chance... No rational person could think that Julian Assange had, I think they said three meetings with Manafort. Uh, sources have said Manafort went to see Assange in 2013, 2015, and in spring 2016. In a statement, Manafort denied meeting Assange. He said, quote, I have never met Julian Assange or anyone connected to him. I have never been contacted by anyone connected to WikiLeaks, either directly or indirectly. I've never reached out to Assange or WikiLeaks on any matter. This is one of these things where if Manafort is lying, by the way, at this point, why lie? At this point, why not just, you know, if he knew he was caught, what's the point? I mean, he's already facing decades in prison. They've already violated his, they say he's violated his plea agreement and they're going to try to slam him away for as long as they can. But as you know, oh, the blue check journos, the, uh, the so-called guardians of our democracy. Yesterday, there were so many of them who were just, just thought this was delicious. Oh, they were so excited about Manafort, because this is what they this is what they think they need. Oh, the, the Manafort is the campaign. He's dirty. WikiLeaks hacked the emails. They're dirty. This could be the connection, and that's going to be ball game for Russia collusion. It's all over, right? Now they'd also have to prove that you know WikiLeaks and Russia, and there's some other aspects of this, but they don't worry themselves about those details. They're, they're not going to spend too much time thinking about that. 
Okay, well, the problem with this is it is completely unbelievable, meaning it is not possible to believe this story. Why would anyone, without any verification other than anonymous sourcing, run this in a major newspaper? And then why would so many other people run with it as well? Because, unfortunately, my friends, the media does not care about the damage done to their credibility from this. Because they don't really have any credibility anymore. It's all about activism and placating their readers, their supporters, their base. It's all about the cause, the cause of the left and anti-Trumpism. And just to run a story for 24 hours. And then to run with it even further. As long as there's the flimsiest pretext for it. So that when it blows up in your face, you say, oh, I didn't know. Let's just move on to the next thing. It served its purpose. It put for 24 hours the news cycle, Manafort and Assange side by side. People talking about both of them. Manafort, Assange, Manafort, Assange. That there is no Manafort, Assange connection isn't going to matter in a day or two to them because they've just spread this lie everywhere. And a lot of people are going to continue to believe it even when the story falls apart. This is how propaganda works. Think of it this way. The mainstream media is marketing a narrative of Russia collusion to the public. And this crap lousy BS story about Assange and Manafort having these three meetings that escaped everyone's attention until now. They serve the purpose of essentially free advertising for the Russia collusion narrative. Gets everyone talking, everyone thinking about it, everyone talking about it again. Oh, it's nothing? Well, you know, lots of the stuff they've said is nothing. Think about the dossier itself. Oh, was, was Michael Cohen in Prague? No, Michael Cohen was never in Prague. Oh, but at least we had that for, you know, we had that going for us for a few days. Were there golden showers in a hotel in Moscow? No, nobody really believes that. Well, at least we got to talk about, the tr- about Trump in the most degrading way possible in the national news cycle. This is what they're doing. These people are smear mongers. They are not journalists, not when it comes to Trump. Sure, I, if you want to read about the you know the latest you know great Peruvian Chinese restaurant that's open in some neighborhood, yeah, read the New York Times. I mean, they do they do a great job on some of that stuff. You can't read them the arts anymore about the arts because you know their leftism infects everything else they do. But food, you know, clothing, maybe there's some stuff they can still do. Local news, traffic jams. Media doesn't care about lying to you. The media knows they're lying to you. Why do they hate Trump so much? Because he's the only person with the megaphone as big or bigger than theirs who shouts back, actually, you're the liars. Just remember that when they try to prosecute Jerome Corsi, send him to prison. He's an old man. For what? They had all of his communications, all of his emails, his cell phone records, and they asked him if he had ever forwarded along or if he had ever sent an email to a person. It turns out he forwarded an email at one point That's not something that if he knew he had done, he would lie about because he would know that they have the emails, folks. You'll notice this is this keeps happening. It is it is not believable that a person, you know, if somebody asked me if they had my phone records and they said, you know, did you call Miss Molly earlier today? I would not knowingly lie about that because, yes, I did. So that's going to show up in my phone records, obviously. But if you said, you know, did you. Uh, did you call somebody who worked for this publication, you know, two and a half years ago 
and ask them for comment, I might say, uh, I, don't, I don't really know. But I, I, it wouldn't be a lie because I wouldn't know. And if they have that information, they know. So what difference does it make? To borrow from Hillary, this is not about justice. This is about politics. You know it. I know it. And unfortunately, it's going to get a lot uglier before it gets better. Got caravan updates coming your way. We're going to have my friend Andy McCarthy with us shortly. Also, Benny Johnson's going to light it up in hour three, talking about how Melania is clapping back at some of the nastiness in the media and in the the culture in general. This show is going to be phenomenal, so stay right there. We've already seen the forced resignation of the Attorney General a day after the election. It's clear, therefore, that something has to be done to protect Mr. Mueller's investigation. Special Counsel Independence Integrity Act is a bipartisan bill. I, again, repeat, this is about the, the legislative branch asserting a common sense check and balance on presidential overreach. That's right. They want to pass a law to truncate presidential authority on the on the guess, on the hunch that Trump is going to tell his new acting attorney general to do something bad with regard to the Mueller probe. What? They don't even know. Has he done anything? No. They want a preemptive law to take away presidential authority or to interfere with presidential authority when it comes to firing, uh, you know, firing somebody or giving a an order in the executive branch. And this is something we've been hearing now for how many months? He's not going to fire him, okay? They just they just need to stop with this. It's so boring. It's one of the ways that you know that the Mueller probe is just a manifestation of the left's anti-Trump mania is they can't help themselves. It's a compulsion now. Uh, Russia collusion. Uh, Mueller, we got to save Mueller. Russia collusion. I mean, these people have some kind of a disorder at this point. Uh, Annie McCarthy is going to join us to really lay it down here. The second hour, we'll get into immigration the latest on Khashoggi, a lot of kerfuffle over that. And uh, Obama saying Obama-like things. That's all coming your way, so stay right there, team. Mueller is not going to produce a neutral report. He's not going to be fair. He's going to produce what he believes is going to be a devastating attack. He's going to put together everything. He's going to use information from Manafort and others without necessarily disclosing that they're liars. Uh, And so the president's team has to be ready. Some bold analysis there from the Dersh. That somebody else is going to offer up some true legal and prosecutorial expertise here. Andy McCarthy is back in action, folks. You all know him, of course, from Fox News and from National Review. And uh, he joins us. Andy, great to have you on the show. Buck, great to be with you. So uh, let's just have you react first to what what, uh, Professor Dershowitz is saying there. Uh, Do you agree with him that it's... Is it a near certainty? I mean, I don't believe anyone can predict the future. Is it a near certainty that the Mueller report is going to be a a political attack on Trump? I don't think it's a certainty because I don't think it should happen. And you hope that eventually adult leadership jumps in here. Um, I hear what Professor Dershowitz is saying, and I don't doubt, given the way that Mueller's team has investigated this case, uh, that they might be hopeful of going that direction and inclined to go in that direction. There's a certain desperation, I think, that has set into this investigation of no crime. And I call it an investigation of no crime, Buck, because everybody 
in the case pleads guilty to making false statements. And the reason that's the case is that's the only thing you can charge them with, the underlying thing that the prosecutor is investigating. Ever since he was unable to establish, because it didn't happen, that the Trump campaign was in a conspiracy with the Kremlin to hack Democratic accounts, that was the crime. Remember, Putin hacked the election and Trump was in on it. Once they learned that that allegation in the Steele dossier could not be proved, and in fact, if you look at Mueller's indictments against the Russians, it's not just that it can't be proved, it's that it didn't happen. The Russians were not looking to have uh, alignment with an American side of this conspiracy. In fact, what they wanted was deniability. They, they can do hacking all by themselves. They didn't need any help from any Americans, uh, Trump included. But the thing, Buck, is that was the crime here. Hacking is a crime. Conspiracy is an agreement between two or more people to commit a crime. So once they didn't have that, what do they have? They have they, it, the best interpretation of the evidence for Mueller is that people in the Trump orbit were trying to get unsavory information about Hillary Clinton that was in the possession of third parties like WikiLeaks. And in one instance, the, uh, the Russian government itself with this lawyer, uh, Veselnitskaya. Um, it's, it's icky. It's unseemly. It's the side of politics that's kind of the dark underbelly that no one ever wants to talk about. But it's not criminal to try to get unsavory information. So you have this big to-do here where they're investigating, you know, did you meet with this Russian? And did you talk to WikiLeaks? And did you have a source in WikiLeaks? And did you tell anyone who the – it all sounds very nefarious until you take a step back and you realize there's nothing criminal about this. And if there was something criminal about this, somebody like Jerry Corsi, who is now the one who is in uh, the crosshairs for uh, for Mueller, they wouldn't be bringing him in and proposing to him that he plead guilty to false statements. They would be giving him a plea agreement to say, uh, we need you to plead guilty to an espionage conspiracy, and we need you to go in there and say, there was a conspiracy between the Kremlin and Trump. Uh, here's was my role in it. Here's what Trump did. Here's what the Kremlin did. Here's how we hacked the accounts and got the information. They don't have anything like that. So, well, Andy, you know, I, I wanted to ask you next politics. about the uh, about the Corsi situation. I was actually at uh, I was at uh, Tucker's show last night, and Corsi was on right before me, so I was wa- right. watching this interview, and and it it's pretty jaw dropping in terms of the the allegations that Corsi's making about. Mueller, I mean, how much of that is taken with a grain of salt? How how likely do you think it is that he voluntarily gave up his laptop, his phones, all of his stuff, and they nailed him on something that they at first let him amend, but then later came back and decided they're going to nail him anyway? I mean, you were a prosecutor for over 20 years. How does this all smell to you? Well, Buck, it all smells bad, uh, and I, I started out here wanting to give the benefit of the doubt to M- Mueller, yeah, you did, by the way. Just as a quick aside, Andy, you were very fair in the early stages. You were saying, let's see what Mueller does. I remember you were coming on this show. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, I didn't think there should be a special counsel. On the other hand, Mueller uh, is you know, a guy who have a lot of people have a lot of respect for. I always have. Uh, he's a serious person. I expected him to conduct a serious investigation. I thought the fact that I didn't think there should be a special counsel didn't mean he couldn't do 
a credible job. But now, look, Buck, I look at what's happening, and again, I think that they are criminalizing politics. I think what they are investigating here is not a crime, and they're trying to camouflage that by getting a bunch of pleas to false statements charges, some of which are very flimsy false statements charges. I mean, the thing you just described with Corsi, that's not the first time we've heard something like that in this investigation. Mike Flynn, originally when he was interviewed by the FBI, the agents who interviewed him thought he was truthful, which is why he was never charged. Then Mueller comes in, and lo and behold, the thing that the guys who were in the room decided he was being truthful about, Mueller and his team decided was a lie. And they got, you know, they told Flynn that they're going to investigate his son and they're doing all kinds of other stuff. So the guy comes in and pleads guilty. It's not exactly when you read the charge, it certainly isn't the false statement of all time, right? And then you have Papadopoulos, who they file a 14-page statement with, where collusion pours off every page, right? He's meeting with Russians, they're scheduling meetings. Maybe we'll have a meeting with Putin and Trump in Russia. Maybe it'll be in New York. They're talking about emails and all this other stuff. And you get at the end of the rainbow, what do they charge him with? A false statement lying to the FBI about the date of a meeting. I mean, really? In a normal case, you get a cooperator who comes in and gives you the underlying scheme that you're investigating. Here, they don't have that because what they're investigating is not a crime. Andy, I, I think it's hard for anybody who, and we're speaking to Andy McCarthy of National Review and, and Fox News contributor. Andy, it's hard for anybody to be observing this and not think that this is just, to put it in, in layman's terms, this is really unfair. I mean, this whole thing, it just strikes me that uh, that it makes people, you know, feel like they can't trust the justice system when there's politics involved. Yes, and, and, and this book goes exactly back to the first question that you asked me that I went on a rant and forgot to get around to answering. But um, what it goes to is, you know, this whole business about what, what Professor Dershowitz says, and is Mueller going to file this very political damaging report that won't charge Trump with a crime, but will be very damaging in terms of uh, his political standing and people's perception of his fitness for office. And, what I keep going back to when I hear stuff like that is, who is Bob Mueller? Or more properly, what is Bob Mueller? And the reason I think we should be asking that basic, basic question is we need to recognize that he is not counsel to a committee of Congress that's considering impeachment. He is not Bob Woodward writing a biography of, of, or a biotype account of the uh, Trump administration and making judgments about Trump's fitness for office. He is a federal prosecutor. His only job is to tell us with respect to A, B, and C factual transactions that he's been authorized to investigate, is there sufficient evidence to charge or is there not sufficient evidence to charge? That does not require a war and peace style narrative. For 20 years, when I was a prosecutor, when we closed a case, there's a, little fi- there's a little form that you fill out when you close a case. And usually with about a paragraph, you could explain why it is that you're closing the investigation without charges. It's insufficient evidence. Generally speaking, that's the, uh, that's the grounds for it. But Mueller's job is not to give us a narrative on everything he learned about Trump. 
And in fact, if you remember, the guy who was supervising Mueller for most of this investigation was Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general. The memo that he wrote to justify the firing of Comey was mainly a condemnation of Comey for outlining publicly the evidence against Hillary Clinton under circumstances where she was not being charged with a crime, because we don't do that in the Justice Department. You know, if the Justice Department wants to accuse somebody, they're supposed to file an indictment, and then you're accused, but you get all the protections that our system gives to an accused person, all the due process of law. We're not supposed to go out, do an investigation, gather all this information, decide that you have engaged in icky behavior but not criminal behavior and then get out on some podium and tell everyone what the icky behavior was if you don't have a crime you shut up yeah this is really important because i think andy there's a there's a perception out there that a lot of people have been intentionally feeding into that there's supposed to be a, a what would really be a, an an oppo report of sorts coming from Mueller, so that you know he has to give us a this is everything that i learned every shady conversation and what you're saying is no as a federal prosecutor you say look we're not bringing any charges no charges to bring case closed right no one seems to think that's the that's the way this goes though which is pretty amazing right usually you don't even get the case closed right buck i mean usually they won't even confirm or deny the existence of an investigation let alone tell you whether it's been closed or not and and for good reason it's because you know if you close a case because there's insufficient evidence but then all of a sudden another witness comes out of nowhere and you can now make the case you reopen it right so so closing it isn't that big of a a deal in the sense that there's no finality to it if you you know if you, it can be revived at any time but my point is the government is not supposed to talk about the evidence in cases that it doesn't bring and i look very carefully at the special counsel uh the special counsel regulations that Mueller was appointed under, they do require him to write a report to the attorney general, but the report is simply to explain what his charging decisions were. You know, why did you indict or why didn't you indict? That, that is not a, a, an invitation to write a narrative of what a creepy guy you think the defendant is. It's for a prosecutor, that's a very clinical question about, you know, every offense has three or four essential elements of the offense that you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in order to proceed with a case. If you have insufficient evidence, then that's the reason you don't bring the case. It's not an invitation to tell the world what a creep you think the defendant is or the target is. Andy, what do we make of the fact that there are so many people who had been at one point in recent memory held up as nonpartisan instruments of the law or the executive branch and they've shown themselves to be really maniacally anti-trump i mean in a way that's embarrassing uh preet barara is one of them who i know is stomping around in your old neck of the woods southern district of new york and u.s attorney preet barara falls in that category james comey falls in that category brennan has i think the stock at the cia is plummeting because of what brennan has been doing i don't want to tell anybody i work there because of this guy uh, what are we to take from all this? Is it just supposed to be a coincidence that some of these very powerful senior government figures in the executive branch, the prosecutorial, uh, prosecutorial side, just happen to hate Trump with a crazy passion? Well, I think it's it's a couple of things, Buck. It's, yes, they think that Trump 
is unfit to be president, and they thought that. I mean, that's evident from the text between uh, Strzok and Page, the you know Lisa Page, the FBI lawyer, and, and Peter Strzok, the agent. Um, it's evident in their um, in their text, and I think their texts are reflective of a greater, broader attitude uh, that existed in the hierarchy of the FBI at the time. You, you know, those texts don't really <laughs> they don't convey any idea that uh, Page and Strzok are kind of um, outliers. You know, it looks like they're representative. Yeah, they're 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 expressing the consensus of the institution. I think. Yeah, exactly right, and I think. Number one, they despised Trump. Number two, they made a decision, which was a controversial decision, to investigate Trump and to use the, the awesome powers that the government's granted to do national security surveillance uh, and to do other kinds of investigation in the throes of a political campaign. And I believe they did it for two reasons. Number one... They thought that since it was counterintelligence, it would be classified, so no one would ever be the wiser. And secondly, the most obvious, Hillary was going to win. So who needed to worry about how aggressive they got and what they decided to do with respect to Trump? Once Trump won, it became inevitable that the public was going to find out that they conducted an investigation of Trump during the campaign. So you either sit back and let the public learn that, or you prepare the public by trying to justify that you had very good reasons to investigate him. And I think that's what All they're right, every- trying to do. They, Andy, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to have you back when this is, but is the Mueller report just real quick. Is it going to drop soon? You think? No, I don't think, I, I think that the, there's still more rounds to play. I'd be very, yeah, I think so too. And then there's some people. Yeah. I think we're I think we're going to be having you on to tell us about the final and you know, the end stage of the Mueller investigation in about uh, six months is my guess. But anyway, Andy McCarthy, everybody, National Review, the best in the business. Check out his writing there. Look for him on Fox News. Andy, my friend, thank you so much for making the time. Hey, thanks, Buck. Take care, team. Big hour two on the way. Stay with me. This is a uh, solution in search of a problem. Um, the president's not going to. Uh, fire Robert Mueller, nor do I think he should, nor do I think he should not be allowed to finish. We have a lot of things to do uh, to try to finish up this year without taking votes on things that are completely irrelevant to uh, outcomes. You know, Mitch, at least holding the line there on, no, we don't need to pass some law that says that Mueller has to be protected because you know what happens if they do that? Then all we hear about is, oh my gosh, the Congress had to pass a law to protect Mueller. <laughs> we know how the Democrats play the game. We all know. We all know. Oh man, they're, they're so shady and slimy. We know exactly how they play the game. Um, we got we got to get into some immigration talk here, folks. The, the caravan, the lies that have been told about it. Had a really uh, really enjoyable segment with uh, the one and only Tucker Carlson last night on his show. I put it up on Facebook if you want to see it. Facebook.com slash Buck Saxton. But we, we got some updates on immigration coming up here in just a moment. Stay with me. Sorry to spoil the surprise, but if you're getting a gift from me this Christmas, you're going to be getting coffee from the best coffee company out there, Black Rifle Coffee. I start my day with Black Rifle, and then I keep my day going around noon or 1 o'clock usually with another cup of Black Rifle. 
I think it is simply the most delicious coffee you can get out there. And unlike a lot of those commie corporate brands, guess what? Black Rifle is run by veterans. In fact, veterans of the special operations community. They give back to veteran causes. And they've got a coffee club, by the way, that makes everything so easy. You just pick the blend you want, whether it's whole bean, ground, or even K-Cup, and have it delivered to your door. The best tasting, most energizing, veteran helping, and fantastic coffee all around, Black Rifle Coffee. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. It's our fault for not welcoming them because they're sincere asylum seekers. Is that true? No, it's a scam. And people know it's a scam based on the percentage of individuals in the past who have come and tried to claim asylum in this way and the fact that they're being coached to lie. This is actually a form of fraud. When you say that I'm in imminent fear of my life because people along the way have said, this is what you have to say to get into the asylum process you can later be adjudicated, you're lying to people in a vast majority of these cases. And by the way, if just being from Honduras, for example, means you're in such threat of violence that you could get asylum, then the whole country would qualify for asylum. So this is a scam, and people realize that now, but the media was pretending all along that it is not. That was last night on Tucker's show on Fox. Uh, Tucker was very gracious. We had a lot of fun chatting about this issue on air and off air. And, and I would just note that right after me, there was this this exchange between Tucker and his other guest where the other guest tried to pull this, oh, well, because I told Tucker another one of these points, because, you know, remember when last night I led the show about the lies? Tucker wanted to have me on to talk about the lies that I've been told about the caravan. And I, I pointed out that these people who claim to be seeking asylum have been offered asylum in Mexico, and they've chosen not to to take that asylum. So given that reality, uh, why are we so referring them as asylum seekers? They're just immigrants who want to come into the country through any means they can, including fraud, right? And people keep saying, oh, they're, they're entitled to apply for asylum. Yeah, but they're not entitled to lie about it, right? You're entitled to apply for a bank loan. You're not entitled to make up $10 million of assets so you'll get a $100 million loan or whatever, right? You, you can't do that. Tucker, you're getting a lot of trouble if you do that. Uh, and, and that's the part of this that gets left out of the conversation. But he had on a guy from, I think it was from Univision, but it could have been from a different Spanish language news network, I forget. Uh, but he, the guy comes on and he says, well, you know, they, they, they don't want to claim asylum in Mexico because Mexico is so dangerous. And to which point I just say, you know, their argument doesn't hold up. And Tucker, thankfully, I wasn't part of this conversation. I just was sitting off set. But if Mexico is so dangerous that... People from Honduras don't consider themselves safe anywhere in the country. Because remember, once you're in Mexico, you're granted something, you can go anywhere. You don't have to stay in any area. And you speak the same language. Your cultures are very similar. It's actually a pretty easy fit, right? If Mexico is so dangerous, then why can't any Mexican show up at our border and say, I'm too scared to be in Mexico. I need to claim asylum. And if that is the case then we might as well just accept that we're going to be taking in another 20 or 30 million Mexicans the next few years. I mean, it's just, you know, to say we have a border is a joke. Um, to say we have a border is a joke. By the way, another thing that's a lot, or what I say, a lot, there's a lot of lies of omission about the border. Turns out that a lot of these family units, because we keep getting told there's families at the border, it's all families. Yeah, there's some families, we're uh, a kind people, 
I feel badly that anyone's circumstances are so desperate in their own eyes that they would come to the border, pay coyotes, be in cartel-controlled territory, take all those risks, bring their children with them. Uh, but there's also people showing up who are lying about being a family unit. Again, this is now fraud. And this is now lying to the federal government. And I understand that libs are okay with a different set of rules for illegal aliens. Like, you know, Illegal aliens are allowed to engage in Social Security card fraud, document fraud, uh, tax fraud, uh, you know, sign their names to things fraudulently, you know, forge signatures, all that. They do all that stuff, and if you prosecute them for it, you're a big meanie. Meanwhile, if you did any of that stuff, you'd be in big trouble. It would be a real problem for you. You know, you, you tell the IRS you haven't filed taxes in five years, that's going to be an issue. If you're an illegal, it's, oh, but I'm I'm in the shadows, you see. Well, yeah, because you're not supposed to be in the country. But they don't, they don't, uh, Look, they don't enforce the laws the same way. There, there's really a special set of U.S. law for illegals. It's just the truth. There's a lot of laws that are not enforced against illegals when they're here and they're treated differently. And there's there's this whole political movement to give lenience and additional support to illegals. You, as a citizen, you don't get any of that. You know, you get the Jerome Corsi treatment. You get, oh man, we can prosecute you. We're gonna we're gonna crush you. That's that's how they view dealing with you. Um, but. It's, it's, uh, oh, oh, wait, we, we, do we have this? Yeah, at MSNBC, we have this guy who's saying that, oh, by the way, they're, they're also, not only is it all, well, not all, it is mostly dudes, mostly guys showing up as part of this caravan. Uh, it turns out that some of them are like, oh, man, this isn't what we thought it was. Maybe, maybe the situation's not as awesome as we were told. Play clip two. Uh, most of the members of this caravan, uh, this is a line for single men that you can see, and it stretches uh, much longer as it does every single morning. Uh, many of these men tell us that they heard in Honduras that it would be easy to cross into the United States. Some of them told us that they had heard that there were programs, work programs, that they would be eligible for. And so now that they are here in Tijuana uh, and they have realized that it is very difficult to, to get into the United States, especially after uh, what happened on Sunday, some of them are deciding to turn back. Deciding to turn back. Well, isn't that interesting? I thought they were fleeing for their lives. Wait, can, can journalists do a little detective work here? Can they do a little connecting of the dots? I, I was led to believe, because all the journals are saying it, I was told that they are fleeing for their lives, and yet what we see here is, sure enough, individuals who are like, oh, man, it's going to be hard. I'm going to have to go through a process. I might get denied. All right, I'm going to go back to Honduras. Thanks. It's been real. But but wait, if, 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 you, were, if you were fleeing the country because you were in, in imminent fear of, of death, you'd go back to that country because the process wasn't as easy in America as you were told it would be? Now, does that sound like desperate refugee behavior to you because it doesn't sound like that to me sounds like something else is going on here sounds like there's another factor at work oh wow what a surprise uh, we have been lied to and lied to and lied oh also they're lying about uh there there are 18 year olds who are saying that they're you know or people that are over 18 saying they're minors as well at the border so we have documented cases now of people who are lying about being family units, lying about their age. This is all fraud, 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 lying to the government to get a tangible benefit. In this case, 
access and enter the United States. You do that, you get prosecuted. These illegals do it, and oh, we're, you know, what about the Emma Lazarus poem on the Statue of Liberty? Oh my gosh, the Emma Lazarus poem. That, that's the way, it, it all comes down to the poem at the base of the Statue of Liberty that has nothing to do with anything, but that's the way we're told to think about this all the time. Uh, by the way, Lindsey Graham, uh, sometimes you get, you know, Lindsey Graham can, can do great stuff these days, sometimes a little disappointing, but uh, here's what he said, play 13. Donald Trump was right to call the caravan out weeks ago. He's right to make sure it never crosses the border. People throughout the world are watching the president. If he blinks here, his credibility on securing the border is dead. He's not going to blink. And to my Democratic friends, how do you expect the public to work with us to fix a broken immigration system if you support one wave after another? A lot's at stake here. The president's not going to bend. He's not going to back down. And I hope the Republicans in Congress will stand behind it. Every Democrat if we had an honest media that were really trying to provide necessary information to the American people so that they can make intelligent decisions about what to ask their leadership to do and who to support in elected office, every Democrat would be asked, what about the next caravan? What about the next caravan? If they shouldn't be let in, why not? And if they shouldn't be let in, why should this one? They don't get asked that question because the Democrat media, the CNN frauds, and all the rest of them know that if the American people knew where the Democrat Party's become an immigration, they would revolt. I just had some Omaha steaks earlier today. I had the sirloins, and they cooked up beautifully. A little salt, a little pepper, all you really need. Absolutely delicious. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an amazing limited-time offer to my listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com, enter promo code BUCK into the search bar, you'll get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package, originally $195, now only $49.99. Order now, and you'll get four hand-cut top sirloins, two premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasas, all beef meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin, and four caramel apple tartlets. Plus, you'll get four more burgers free. Omaha Steaks is a fifth-generation family-owned company with over a 100 years of experience delivering perfectly aged beef hand-cut by master butchers in Omaha. Again, get this limited-time package for only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar, add the family gift package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar. Our bill contains the president's full request for the border. Uh, but ultimately, um, the president and the Senate Democrats are going to have to come to agreement as well. As you know, this takes 60 votes in the Senate. Therefore, Senate Democrats have a say-so in appropriation matters. And so I think what we're going to have to do is just sort all of this out between all the parties that are involved. But hopefully after the election, Democrats realize a secure border should not be a Republican thing. It shouldn't be a Democrat thing. It's just good for the country to actually secure our border. The House is there. We hope the Senate comes with us. It's the final shutdown. Yeah, that's right. It's not the final shutdown because there's not going to be one. Not going to be a shutdown, folks. I know. Oh, we're going to. The Republicans will stand up like Leonidas at Thermopylae. Nope, they will not. There's going to be a shutdown. What is it? It's about 20% of the government actually shuts down uh, over the 
when there is a shutdown. I mean, the rest of the government's all essential employees. Nothing changes for them. But, you know, by remember when the Obama administration had this situation and they actually prevented veterans from going to memorials on on the uh, on the mall. And, you know, that they tried to make a spectacle of it so that there'd be more media pressure for Republicans to end the shutdown. And they figured also that the media, of course, would be completely on the side of the Democrats in the whole thing. And that gives obviously a huge advantage to them. So, you know, these are the things that these things that I remember about about the whole shutdown. But I wish Paul Ryan, I mean, he, he's on his way out. He's not running again. This guy's been, this guy's, you know, Speaker of the House. Could he just, just have a little more fire in the belly on something? You know, what, what's there to lose at this point? He's going to get some cushy job. He's going to be running a big think tank and, you know, be on the Speaker circuit. He's good to go. This guy's going to be making seven figures, you know, the day he walks out the door of, of Congress, I'm sure. And, you know, why can't he at least really make the case? If you say border security, oh, that's right, because Paul Ryan's a squish on the border. He is. You go back and listen to this guy. He's not somebody that you would want to, would want handling the border issue at all because his whole thing is uh, the sort of Chamber of Commerce view of let's just take in more and more illegals. And, you know, I would just note that there is, in fact, a even a left-wing argument against that. And I think that it doesn't get enough, it doesn't get enough uh, attention. But there, there is an argument to be had and, and used to be had by the left that all you're doing are bringing in all these illegals and these foreign workers and guest workers all the time in huge numbers is depressing the wages of Americans who compete with that labor. And there's this notion out there that, oh, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really, really matter because why supply and demand doesn't count when you're talking about illegal. It's just, oh, because they're doing the jobs that we won't do. Well, that's because they're getting paid less and they're often getting paid off the books and they're half the time not paying any taxes and sending $20 billion of untaxed remittances back to Mexico, by the way. But, you know, is Ryan going to tackle any of that stuff? No, of course not. He, he is firmly in favor of more and more cheap labor in this country for the donor class, for the kind of people who write big checks to major conservative think tanks and foundations, the kind of places that you know Ryan is going to spend the next 30 years. That's, that's what's going on here. That's why there's no fire in the belly on this issue, because Ryan doesn't feel that way. Uh, he, is, he is not strong on border issues, not strong on American sovereignty. You notice other countries, other countries don't have this problem the way that we do. Uh, what happened in Europe, where you had Angela Merkel, Guten Tag, Angela, uh, accepting a million refugees, asylum seekers in Germany, that sent a huge shockwave to the rest of Europe, where they're like, whoa, hold on a second. And there's a lot of people who are saying that the long-term trend in Europe is not toward harmony with some of the predominantly Muslim immigrant populations that have shown up in the last 30, 40, 50 years. It's not, not looking like things are going to go toward a, a more perfect union in places like France and Germany and Italy uh, with regard to the different major populations and the, uh, the demographics in those countries. But there's no country where you just get... Remember, Merkel, I mean, they decided they were going to take in these asylum seekers. They made an affirmative decision. These European countries said, okay, we'll take in these immigrants. 
Uh, no country just says, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're just going to show up as many as you want. Just come in and you get to stay and that's fine. But we're the bad guys for doing that somehow. We're we're the mean, the mean country in this whole process. You know, the Democrats are just they're unserious on this issue, as I, as I keep saying. But speaking about the border, I were to get more into uh, Obama later on this hour. I have some talks about, you know, Obama, you know, Obama can't stay out of the limelight. People say, oh, he's... He's not going to run again because he can. And Michelle's not going to run again. But oh, Obama's almost like president in exile now for the Democrats. Obama thinks of, of himself as, you know, the next best thing to being president is having Obama giving speeches and being on social media and going around doing all these things. And what was so interesting is there's all this focus on the tear gas at the border as though that's a bad, you know, people are throwing rocks at you. You're going to you're going to respond with non-lethal measures to get them to disperse and stop throwing rocks. Full stop. You know, I, I mean, I would also say this to you. If if let's just say some cartel member, uh, you know, pulled pulled out an, an AK-47 and started taking shots at Border Patrol and, you know, he was, you know, be, be 10 yards behind a female that he put there as a as a human shield. Yeah, they're going to try to not hit the woman, but they're going to return fire. They're not going to say, "Oh, there, you know, there's a there's a woman involved here, so we can't." I mean, this is just we're talking about self defense, and when people throwing rocks at you, yeah, you can't just open fire on them because it's not an imminent lethal issue the same way that gunfire would be. But you're going to respond with tear gas. But what's so interesting is how, and I probably shouldn't waste your time with this because you're going to be like, "Buck, it's the View. Who cares?" But you you turn on a show like The View. Joy Behar paid millions of dollars to be on television and be an idiot. Hello, I'm Joy Behar. I sound a little like Hillary, but more of an accent. Uh, it's amazing to me. I think someone told me that she makes $3 million a year to be on The View or $2 million a year to be on The View. Some crazy, and it's just, what? Really? That's right. It's worth every penny to have Joy Behar there to say stupid things. But she doesn't have to know anything because she's a comedian. Uh, here's here's what here's what the views view of tear gas in the Obama administration was. Play seven. Now they point out that Obama had border patrol agents use tear gas at the border too, and no one was interested in covering it then. What do you think? Is there is there evidence of that? Because I saw a picture. I'll show you this photo. That I've uh, that's circulating right now. These two little girls, shoeless, fleeing from tear gas. Do they have a photo like that when Obama was in office? No. The last I checked, President Obama is no longer in office. President Trump is in office, and he's destroying the country. And he's destroying the country. And this but Obama defense. You know, doesn't work for me. That's not to say using tear gas. I think it's immoral when you're using tear gas against children. Oh, okay. So. Obama can do things and it's fine. And if Trump does it, it's terrible and immoral. That's I'm, I'm glad that that's now the the for, you know that's now the defense. That's what's offered up all the time. Okay, good to know. You know, she's like, well, but did they have a photo? Is there a photo of this thing where the children are running with the mother and the whole? No joy. We don't need to worry about the photo because we know because Customs Border Patrol have already told us that yes, in fact, they did have to fire pepper spray projectiles under the Obama administration at the border because of riot-like conditions. Yes, we have been told this. This is now a, this is a fact that is verified. 
But are you sure? Was it verified by somebody who's really smart who uses Google? Yes, Joy. Very smart people who use the Google. We have no smoking gun that the crown prince was involved, not the intelligence community or anyone else. There is no smoking gun. We have not changed that accountability for the murder is our expectation of everyone involved in the murder. Accountability uh, is our position, has not changed at all. And by the way, I have read all the intel. I have personally read all the intelligence. I have read all the translations. You've seen all the intelligence, presumably. Do you believe that the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia ordered Mohammed Khashoggi's killing? I do believe. I've read every piece of intelligence, unless it's come in in the last few hours. I think I've read it all. There is no direct reporting connecting the Crown Prince to the order to murder Jamal Khashoggi. That's all I can say in an unclassified sense. Two of the most respected, most adept members of the Trump administration there in the cabinet. You had Mattis to start off with, Secretary of Defense, and then Secretary uh, of State Pompeo weighing in, both saying, look, we've, we've, we've both read all of the stuff, and the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense have access to absolutely anything they want to see, and we do not have smoking gun evidence. We don't have clear proof that MBS was involved. Now, I know that, you know, Mohammed bin Salman is somebody who all the different journos running around say, oh, he had to know. Yeah. Do we think that he knew? Sure. Do I think that he knew? Yeah. But is that enough to take action that will jeopardize important strategic relationships with Saudi Arabia in the Middle East? Is that enough when the Saudis can turn on the spigot of chaos, instability and violence in Iraq or turn it off? When the Saudis can turn on the spigot of violence or, or make it even more than it currently is in Yemen or start to tamp it down? You know, when the Saudis are the only real Mideast ally we have right now that are blocking Iranian ambitions in the region? Look, I, do I think the Saudi state is terrible? Yeah. Do I think that radical Islam and Islamism are cancerous for any country? Absolutely. Is Saudi Arabia responsible for exporting for the metastasis, if you will, of that cancer more than any other country in the world? Oh, yeah, definitely. But can we just completely cut off relations with Saudi Arabia? No. Is that what would happen if we went after the premier of that country? I mean, we don't even do that with Putin. Putin's order the murders of journalists on British soil. Or I should say dissidents on British soil, former Russians, not... I mean, they're, they're kind of, one of them, you know, what was his name? Litvinenko, I think he was, you know, he was writing and doing things. Remember, Khashoggi was a, was a columnist, really, more than, he, he wasn't a, uh, a nonpartisan journalist just trying to cover it. Not that that affects whether he should be harmed one way or the other, but just there's been so much misinformation out there about him. And he was an Islamist, by the way, and very favorable toward Hamas. I don't, you, you get all these individuals in the media running around acting like that's some kind of terrible slur. Well, no, it's just the truth. But as I've been telling you all along, it's really not about Khashoggi, ultimately, for all these progressive journos running around making all this noise about it. They want to criticize Trump. And so they have to create this environment around the issue of Trump is not doing enough. 
Trump likes dictators. It's basically Trump's fault that we are in this situation. You know, they find a way to blame Trump for the murder of a Saudi, uh, a Saudi journalist in Turkey. And from what I understand, he was here on a visa. He is not even, although I can't get confirmation, it's not even a permanent, a permanent green card holder resident, um, which was another area of misreporting that I think is certainly eyebrow raising to say the, uh, to say the least. But, you know, you, you see what's going on here because who steps in to make it very clear or that this, why they're so focused on this issue? Hillary! Play clip six. We have a president who is part of the cover-up as to what happened um, in that uh, consulate or embassy uh, when uh, Mr. Khashoggi was murdered. And we have a president and those closest to him who have their own personal commercial interests. That's a lie. Now... Hillary Clinton lying surprises none of you listening, but to to say that he's part of the cover up, I mean, that's just an allegation for which there is no evidence whatsoever. In fact, Trump is as much a part of the cover up as Hillary is because both of them have zero evidence to support that that charge. So I can say that Hillary's every bit as responsible for the cover up as Trump is. Trump was a part of you could say that Trump didn't take enough action. You could say that Trump. Uh, you know, Trump isn't somebody who we should be, you know, mirroring what he did here in terms of, you know, the immediate days of figuring out what's going on. You know, whatever. you can criticize him, fine, but to say he's part of the cover-up, now you're just saying that he's uh, effectively, he's got blood on his hands. Trump had nothing, no sane person can say Trump had anything to do with this. No sane person can say the U.S. government had anything to do with this. This is not our. This is not our problem. We didn't. You know, we're not responsible for this. We're not the reason this happened. And I, I just wish there'd be a little more honesty about this. Is yet again, just like with the caravan, where they're saying, "Oh, it's a thousand miles away." Trump is making this up. They're just. They were just saying stuff that wasn't true because it was useful to them at the time. Now, all of a sudden, you have all these journalists who don't know squat about how the Middle East actually works. And they're running around saying, oh, if only Trump was was doing what exactly? What do they, I mean, you know I've been saying this for a while. What do they really want Trump to do about a murdered journalist in Turkey that we don't have any, and there's no charges we could even bring? It's not U.S. jurisdiction. What are we going to do? We're going to, without, by the way, people keep saying present the evidence. No, because the, the stuff that Pompeo and Mattis are talking about, they say, I've read all the intelligence, that's going to be classified collection. Could be even human sources, could be technical sources, we don't know. But they're going to protect that information. They can't just release it because people are curious. It's not like they're just trying to entrap General Flynn, for example, by blowing classified information out there in public to settle a political score. The libs will do that, we know, but Trump administration cabinet members are trying to be a little more responsible with this information. But it's just... Yet again, it's just more, a lot of jawing, a lot of tough talk from a bunch of people who aren't even honest about what they're really pushing for here. Why are they so focused on Khashoggi? What do they really want? The the answer is they want to complain about Trump. The answer is they want to make Trump's fondness for dictators 
even though the Saudis have been a dictatorship for as long as it's existed, okay? Since the actual beginning of Saudi Arabia, it has been a dictatorship. It's been a monarchy. Uh, but they want to act like this is all Trump's fault. That just happened to him. These people are just, they're full of it. They're full of it. And the adults are making the decisions on this one, and that's a good thing. There, there are obviously accomplishments that, that uh, I'm extraordinarily proud of and, and believe deeply in. Um, I, I think the Affordable Care Act was important. It was incomplete, but it was, uh, it was a starter house. I was extraordinarily proud of the Paris Accords. I know we're an oil country, and uh, we need American energy, and, and by the way, uh, American energy production. Uh, you wouldn't always know it, uh, uh, but you know, it went up every year I was president. You know, that whole suddenly America's like the biggest oil producer and the biggest guy. Uh, that was me, people. I just wanted you to. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you go to Wall Street and folks would be grumbling about anti-business. I said, have you checked where your stocks were when I came in office and where they are now? What, what are you talking? What are you complaining about? Just say thank you, please. Obama is arrogant to the point of delusion. That's not new, but it's more apparent now that he's no longer even the president, right? It's one thing to be incredibly insufferably arrogant when you're actually the leader of the free world. Look, Trump is an arrogant guy. I just think that Trump is much more uh, effective at doing what he says he's going to do and much better for the country than Obama was. But, you know, Trump has got a big ego. No, no question about it, right? We're all adults here. We speak honestly about this. But Obama's ego, you know, is 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 incredible in its own way i mean it's it's he he will this is for obama to talk about america being an energy superpower which by the way i don't know why we're not spending as much time as we used to be at least worried about the middle east despite all the media these days about all khashoggi and iran and all this stuff you know the you want to know why we're not so focused on on the Middle East, it's in part because of what has changed, what has changed with regard to global energy reality. Because, because of shale oil, fracking, things that liberals were making movies to try to frighten people away from. Liberals were lying their faces off about fracking and and the new techniques that have turned i mean shale oil has turned america into a global energy superpower we had built all these natural gas uh these natural gas portals for import of natural gas and guess what now we've had to turn them around for export of natural gas as well when we are just we are crushing it in all the best ways as an energy power now it's so important for our economy it's been so helpful to to our growth and Obama was opposed to it at every step of the way. Obama did everything in his power, literally that you can think of. I mean, you know, maybe there's some things he couldn't think of that, but in every way that Obama could have been in opposite, no offshore drilling, no Keystone XL pipeline, no, just go down the line. In every policy matter where it came up, Obama was opposed. No drilling on federal lands wherever he could oppose it, right? They, he did everything he could. This would be like Trump 
Or, or here's an even easier example. This would be like me saying, so the Democrats did really well in the midterm election. You could say thank you to Buck Sexton, Democrats. It's like, what? All I do is try to keep Democrats from winning elections. My life's work post-intelligence community has been trying to defeat the libs. That's what I'm doing. I am open about it. I'm honest about it. I want libs to come join our side. I want them to understand that conservatism is a better governing philosophy for the country. But I want them to lose. I want our side to win. So you could imagine me taking credit for the Democrat victory in the midterm would would seem like a kind of crazy thing to do. And that's exactly what Obama's doing here with oil. He was so hostile. But you see, with Obama, it's just he's um, everything. You know, he takes credit for the economy now. Everything is how awesome Obama is. That's just how he goes through goes through his life, and there are a lot of people that tell him. And this is also why, yeah, is Trump a little bit, uh, does Trump have a little bit too much swagger sometimes? Maybe. But he's got to deal with the fact that, unlike Obama, who had everyone walking around uh, worshiping him, everyone walks around in the press corps and in the establishment hating Trump. So I feel like you know, I give him more leeway for for a big ego not just because obviously he's president of the United States and pulled off a political miracle to become president of the United States, but but also because he's got to you know put the shields up, shields high, if you will, in order to withstand these withering assaults of hatred from the media all the time, right? So he, I mean, Trump better have a lot of confidence in himself because certainly not gonna not gonna be able to count on anybody else to to prop up his confidence. And Obama, on the other hand was just constantly told how perfect and brilliant and wonderful he was. Uh, but Obama's talk didn't stop there when it comes to the, the, you know, the usual from this guy, I mean, this sort of self-congratulation from Obama. Play clip three. This big contradiction, which is we talk a lot about democracy, but we're not treating everybody the same. Uh, gender. Part of the reason everybody could, could get along pretty good in Congress in 1957 or 1965 was... There weren't any women there to say, what you guys are doing is stupid. (laughs) Um, And they start questioning things, and suddenly men are kind of uncomfortable. Changes the consensus, right? I mean, this is just, it's just such a cheap, it's such a cheap line, really. You know, the, the reason people, first of all, people didn't use, people used to get along in Congress in the 60s. People have always, I mean, this is like people who say that, oh, our, di- our you know, discourse right now is so nasty. Why can't we go back to the time of the founding? You know, and they'll say that and say, oh, you mean when you had laws passed to criminalize opposition to certain policies in this country? The Alien and Sedition Acts, for example. When, when you had newspaper, people running newspapers getting sent to prison for what they were printing. That happened in the early 1800, you know, 1801, 1802 time period. That was happening in this country. Uh, you look back at what people were saying when Jefferson and Adams were at each other's throats and Jefferson and other people. And uh, there was not some golden era of everybody was so nice to each other. So, I mean, anyway, this notion that, yeah, everyone got along because there were there were no women to tell them how dumb they were. You know, yeah, Obama, thanks for adding that into into the conversation today. He, he really is somebody. This is also why when the media is telling us how terrible Trump is, how he brags about himself all the time, we're saying, you know, you they lost all credibility in the Obama years. They don't realize they lost all credibility. You know, with with Clinton, they realized that he was a disgusting jerk. 
but they liked his policies, so they lied and covered up for him. But but they at least kind of realized that Clinton was there were some libs, big libs. You realize Clinton was disgusting. With Obama, everything he did was perfect, and it was just it was just a, a joke that the media was any kind of check on his power or on you know speaking truth to power. Uh, we're going to have my buddy Benny Johnson join us here in just a moment. Benny's always a lot of fun. We're talking to him about uh, how the media is coming after not just Trump, but of course, Melania. Here, Let's just hear quickly from the First Lady, and then we'll have Benny uh, take up this issue in a few moments. Play 14. I know when I started with Be Best and with Social Media Initiative that I will be criticized, but I will do what, what is right for the next generation and to be focused on helping uh, how to use it and how much to use it, the social media. That's very important for me. Uh, so next generation um, can be respectful and kind. Are you listening? And also, sometimes you need to fight back. I'm sorry. Yeah. Are you listening? <laughs> She's right. Sometimes you do need to fight back. Uh, how and why, why has the First Lady felt that need recently? I thought First Ladies were kind of beyond getting attacked in nasty personal ways you know I mean, certainly the media was a praetorian guard for michelle obama for all of her eight years as first lady but what's going on with the current first lady we got benny johnson the daily caller is going to address that and more coming up hour three facebook twitter google these are incredibly wealthy powerful companies they're also very progressive companies if you just want to be chatting with folks about any topic that's on your mind you want to share your opinions and not worry about progressive bias Snippy.com is for you. If you looked at Snippy.com in the past and left, look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com, expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. It's an unbiased social media platform all about conversation and community. It's where everyone's free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. Totally free to join, open to everyone. So join us at Snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android, Snippy is your new alternative social media. So go check it out for yourself. Discuss topics freely. No suppression from administrators. No left-wing bias. Snippy.com. It is time to own some libs. We have, for that very purpose, a great owner of libs, Mr. Benny Johnson. (laughs) My, my former colleague at The Blaze many, many eons ago, who is now at The Daily Caller, where he is editor-at-large, Mr. Johnson. We, we wait with bated breath. 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 Uh, pardon me. Radio host can't speak, apparently. What do you got for us today, Betty? Tell us what's going on with Melania. The owner of Libs. That is an amazing... I should just make that my title. And I, I should just... That should just be what I get on my business card. You should put that on your Twitter bio, probably. I'm just saying. Great owner of libs. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ownership of the liberal is the classic way to say it. Uh, so Melania has owned some libs in recent days. Uh, a lot of people in the press followed a longstanding media tradition of hating literally everything that Donald Trump does or anything that his family does, however innocent, and even if it's celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Melania decorated the house, the White House, in beautiful decorations. They were sparkly. They were fantastic. There's literally nothing wrong with them. They are just Christmas decorations. And they are done in a classical sense, and they honor our troops, and they honor people who serve in our military, uh, and police and firefighters. And it's really a beautiful I, – I, I saw them myself. They were beautiful. Well, uh, the press hated on her for it. 
and attacked her for it, attacked her, called the Christmas decorations the Christmas from hell, uh, said that she must be trying to make a horror film. They did this to her last year. This is not something new. I guess this is something that's going to go on for as long as Trump is in office. They're just going to hate every single stitch of the man's body. Um, and so they wrote all these mean pieces about it. Uh, but Melania said today in a speech at Liberty University that she doesn't give a damn. <laughs> My words, not hers. But essentially, she says she thinks they're fantastic. People are going to have differing opinions. Uh, I'm first lady. Screw you. I'm going to do what I want in the White House. So it was that, it was it was really great. Uh, to see can I just can I just throw in here, Benny, real quick? I don't know. I, I'm assuming you're up on uh, Jimmy Woods' uh, Twitter feed. I mean, James Woods, the actor, obviously great actor and and really entertaining Twitter follow. And he just shared a photo of Melania and pointed out, you know, she doesn't get put on magazine covers. She's not there all the time, and she is not to you know not to sound superficial. Probably the most, probably, we could say that, the most beautiful first lady in the history of the United States. And yet the fashion magazines and all this, they, they don't get, now, who really cares about any of that? Like, we voted for Trump. But it does show, to your point, just the, the, the constant animus. It's not even just a Trump. They hate his wife, too. She hasn't done anything. She just walks around looking perfect all the time, trying to be nice to people. Right. They also hate Barron. There was, a, there was a cycle where people called Baron an animal mutilator, said that she, he's a future school shooter. And he's 10, uh, right? Something it, like that. Right. He's 12 years old now. 12. He was 11 when they entered the White House. It's, it's just madness, man. So, But she, she fought back a little bit, or at least pushed back a little bit, so that, that's good to see. Uh, speaking of people who should get fought back against, it's kind of a rough transition, but we'll go with it. Avenatti. <laughs> Avenatti, Michael Avenatti, the the lawyer, uh, Tucker, who was kind enough to have me on a show last night. We're going to get back to that in a moment, by the way, because we've got a great story that's on the Daily Caller from last night that I've witnessed part of. That's what we call a teaser in the business, folks. Uh, but Avenatti is somebody that the Democrats were, I remember, Benny, even a couple of months ago, saying he may be a presidential contender. Now he's been accused of felony domestic abuse, arrested for it. And by the way, Stormy Daniels says, well, you tell everybody, Benny, what's the latest with the Stormy Daniels Avenatti saga? Sure. So a story that just broke minutes ago in the Daily Beast, Stormy Daniels gave the Daily Beast a lengthy quote where she essentially distances herself from Michael Avenatti, who has long represented her, has spun this lawsuit into thousands and thousands of endless cable news bookings. I think he pretty much set up a tent inside of the green room at CNN. He was on so much and um, suing the president for defamation. Anyway, Stormy Daniels and him are uh, shockingly on the rocks. Uh, the famous porn actress uh, is saying that he didn't represent her effectively, saying that he lied to her about the GoFundMe that he set up for her, that he still hasn't told her where the money went for the GoFundMe essentially saying that he's a, he's a scam artist, which a lot of us knew in the first place, and that he was using this woman with the auspice of saying that he's defending women. Uh, she also says that he speaks on behalf of her without her consent and isn't behaving like an attorney-client relationship should. Uh, this is things that I think anyone with two eyeballs could see, but this is pretty damning for Michael Avenatti. Is this to say that the creepy porn lawyer is in fact exploiting the former porn star for the purposes of advancing his own very narrow 
self-interest in the financial and media realms? That is a shock. <laughs> I, think this, I think this absolutely shocks no one who's been following Michael Avenatti closely. And we've been digging into his business dealings at The Daily Caller. We've been digging into his past, finding a lot of people with a lot of really bad uh, histories with him. And you got to think to yourself, I mean, you know, can, I, can the uh, cheetah change its spots sort of thing? And by the way, I, I, I think that, you know, in a, I think it's a pretty strong argument and no one can ever prove this right or wrong, but I think it's a pretty strong argument that it was really because of Avenatti that I think Kavanaugh, which you and I were very much, you know, in the trenches on that here in D.C. and talking to the White House and everybody about how they needed to stay the course and keep fighting on the Kavanaugh nomination. I think that Avenatti might have might have accidentally, <laughs> despite his best efforts, tipped it toward Kavanaugh by coming out with the Swetnick allegation. I think that he, in a sense, Avenatti has changed history for the better. Right, yes. Well, the Swetnick allegation was the allegation that is the out, was the outlier that people and Republicans were able to use to say, you're looking at this guy, right? This is a guy who has to defend drinking beer, uh, and you're telling me that he ran a gang rape circle? Yeah, I mean, that, the, the Swetnick allegation was where all of a sudden if people who believe that uh, were either naive or imbeciles or both. I mean, there was no there's no third option. That was that was utterly ridiculous. It would be like somebody coming forward and saying that Benny Johnson is actually a cyborg sent back in time to save us from a future where progressive. Oh, my God. Is that really happening, Benny? I'm just I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting scared right now. I say it out loud. By the way, I, I want to say that uh, if you want to live. Yeah, exactly. I want to say that, you know, last night, and this is a little story that Betty and I will, will, will share here on the air. Last night, I, I, was, uh, I was on Tucker's show. Some of you saw that. It was great to see Tucker. I wish we had the off-camera banter was even more fun than what we could talk about on air. He had kind of an audience there. But right before I go to see Tucker, uh, Benny, I, I was chatting up our mutual friend, uh, one of the, you know, the, the conservatives, the good, God-fearing, America-loving conservatives in D.C. We all find each other. We all stick together. So I'm talking to, uh, to Harlan Hill. And um, the three of us. Yes. Oh, the three of us. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we, we, we all we're all thick as thieves here in town. But I see Harlan at Fox <laughs> News and this guy walks up to Harlan and shakes his hand and introduces himself, which is fine, of course. But and I, I hear his name. And then I look down. And I realize this guy's wearing like black basketball shorts with a suit, which I had never seen before. He's not wearing like shorts that are part of the suit. He's just wearing it. Uh, uh, randomly a suit with black basketball shorts and it's Philippe Reigns who is the mm. former senior Clinton uh, uh you know what is he an advisor to Hillary Clinton like a very senior guy in Hillary Clinton's circle and he came up and, and afterwards I see Harlan or rather Harlan uh, text me and he tells me that this guy went on in on air obviously started saying all the usual stuff about how the you know Hillary email is nonsense and Mueller and all all the usual Democrat talking points but then off air accosted Harlan while wearing shorts on the bottom and a suit up top Harlan took a photo of this he looks the guy looks like a lunatic he said something incredibly crass to Harlan and it's all on the front page of the Daily Caller for those of you who want to see it you know the story I'm talking about right Yes, of course. This was crazy. How is this guy a senior Hillary Clinton advisor? Like, even for Hillary, this is nuts. I mean, not just not just senior advisor. I mean, listen, 
This guy worked for her back in the White House and then moved with her into the Senate, then uh, was like a number one in the State Department. I believe he was chief communications uh, deputy inside of the State Department. This guy is as bona fide as you can get inside of Hillary Clinton world. Had Hillary had won, there is no doubt about it that he'd be working at a major federal agency or be working inside the White House in some type of official capacity. And this is how much 2016 broke people, Buck. Uh, now, instead of working in the White House, he's wandering around Fox with no pants on, going on uh, tirades, blind rage tirades against uh, Donald Trump's spokespeople. Yeah, I mean, this, this guy, you've got one of the most senior Hillary people out there walking around a cable news, uh, a cable news channel like a guy who's, you know, lost his sense of where he is. He's walking around and like his PJs down below. It's crazy, except they're not even pants. <laughs> it, it was really a sickening photo. It was, it was, it was, it was sickening. You expect people to be doing that when they're like doing a hit from Palm Beach. And, you know, a lot of people like you do a ton of cable news. People do hits from all over the country. And they're just wearing a pair of shorts. You're not going to see what. Yeah, but you don't go into the news bureau. It's freezing outside. Inside the bureau. It's very cold in D.C. right now. This was. Did you know he was kind of a a wackadoo beforehand? I didn't know this guy. I figured he's Clinton. So he's obviously a soulless, corrupt monster. Uh, And he was mean to Harlan, too, which I don't like. But, uh, you know, I didn't realize that he was a total wackadoo. Apparently he is. So tells you something about the Clintons. He is. I mean, John Podesta kicked him off the Hillary Clinton campaign because he was such a sociopath. There's some really great, there's some really great behind the scenes stories about him and Podesta butting heads and Podesta winning out, and hence he didn't. Ryan didn't have a uh, uh, Philippe uh, did not have a huge uh, hand in Hillary Clinton's election campaign in 2016. I'm not sure he could have helped. I'm not sure he could have helped anything. Probably would have just hurt everything. But yeah, this guy has filled my DMs on Twitter with uh, this guy's filled my DMs on Twitter with war and peace of uh, Twitter DM conversations, getting angry at me for writing stories about him, and then blocked me. So, um, so yeah, man, you got to whenever a Dem slides into your DMs, you got to run for cover, man, because who knows what's going to happen. Benny Johnson, everybody, he is doing God's work down here in D.C. for the Daily Caller. He's the editor at large. Follow him on Twitter. Mr. Johnson, come back soon. Hey, thank you so much, Buck. All right, team. Much more coming. Stay with me. Holidays for me means a lot of online shopping, a lot of searching around for stuff to get, and that means that my information is often out there, right? Especially if I'm using public Wi-Fi. If you want to be in a position where you don't have to worry about somebody else getting access to your data, selling your data to third parties, or even worse, hacking into your, your computer, You want ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps. They just run in the background protecting you online. They encrypt your data, and they hide your public IP address. Costs less than $7 a month. I love my ExpressVPN. You need to check it out for yourself. It's so easy, and it just gives you peace of mind online. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. For three months free with a one-year package, again, visit expressvpn.com slash buck to learn more. 
economy is doing great. That's yeah, you, by the White I don't House's know how you refute admission. that right now. You can look at what happened at I'm GM and it's it. terrible. I'm but saying the that as the economy well. slows, which even the White House says it will in the 2019 year, mm-hmm. he can't just be blaming everybody else. He hey, needs can I, to can fix I give things. You a, he's incapable can of I give doing you a that. And it's why Republicans factoid. lost the House. Did you know, Philippe, that we just had record tax revenues? Mm. Despite that I, I tax cut, record tax revenues. I know this that 14,000 people are losing their jobs under that a president who says it's the best regulation job president in America. <laughs> he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> All right, I know I'm going to leave it there. Always good to see you. I'm going to leave it. Thank you so much, Harlan and Philippe. A pleasure. You could tell it was about to get testy. It was about that was that was our man Harlan. We just we just uh, reached out to him now. We'll, we'll get him on the show tomorrow. Oh man, Harlan's great. I actually think Harlan might be filling in by the way uh, over the holidays on, on radio for uh, you know. Hopefully, we will get some Harlan, some Raheem. If there's anybody I, I want to put this out there to all of you uh, in Team Buckland. If there's anybody that you really think would be a great guest host. Please don't send me somebody that nobody's ever heard of before, okay? Because that's not going to fly because I have to get it. The, the, my bosses at Premier have to be like, oh, yeah, that person. But Harlan, Raheem, I mean, anybody that, you know, would be great, actually, would be uh, Seb Gorka, probably. But I don't know if he, he, he might, might already be in the rotation to do, uh, he might be doing Hannity's. I think he subs for Hannity sometimes. Anyway, if you got somebody that you think would be great, uh, let me know, and we will we'll we'll reach out to them. And, and over the holidays, because I'm I'm going to be taking off some days, taking off some time uh, at the end of the month in December, because Buck is Buck is running on fumes. Uh, but so we'll get some great guest hosts in, and make sure you have fresh content in the Freedom Hut. But anyway, so back to this Harlan Philippe Raids thing, man. It's just because I was there and I saw it uh, unfold. I don't know why this guy's walking around in shorts, but if you haven't seen the photos, uh, they're worth. <laughs> <laughs> They're worth checking out. And Harlan put up uh, debated Hillary. This is on Twitter. Debated Hillary Clinton's former senior advisor, Philippe Reigns. Afterwards, he came at me screaming like a maniac. I thought he was going to cry. He told me to clean the blank blank off my face. I can't tell you what he wrote. Whatever that means. Best part, he had no pants on. Hashtag unhinged. Oh, my gosh. It is it is quite a fashion statement that this guy pulls off. I've never seen it before. So, oh man, good time. John, have you seen have you seen the photos? I think everybody should know that this is. He I'm needs a just, tan. He needs a tan. I see. I can't make fun of anybody for not being tan because I'm as I'm as pasty white as anybody could ever I be. I know it's winter, but no one should be that pasty white. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, by the way, I didn't get into this before, but you know, turns out Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Oh, what a shock. She's going to be the uh, the Speaker of the House, everybody. The vote has happened. She's going to be Speaker of the House. And sure enough, you know, there was there was like a week ago, I think there were, what, 18 members, 18 Democrats in the Congress who were like, we're not going to vote for Pelosi because we want fresh leadership in the House. Yeah, right. Uh, turns out that that's not going to be, that's not going to be what happens here. Uh, Pelosi, is there's not going to be fresh leadership, that's for sure. It's going to be Pelosi, and uh, that's that's kind of what we got on this one. Oh, but here's Pelosi speaking about her her much expected by anybody paying attention victory today. Play 15, John. I think we're in pretty good shape, but again, I don't speak. I don't want to make other people's announcements for them, but we go forward with confidence and humility. 
Okay, but let me tell you something. I'm talking about scores of members of Congress who just gave me a vote, are giving me a vote of confidence. That is where our focus is. Are there dissenters? Yes, but I expect to have a powerful vote as we go forward. So Pelosi is, according to Political, one step closer to the Speaker of the House position. She won her party's nomination for the 116th Congress. She also has to pick up 15 votes to get back the Speaker's chair. Uh, and she's confident she'll get there. The vote was 203 to 32, 203 to 32 with three bank blank ballots. Uh, Pelosi said a vote of confidence. There are some dissenters. Guess what? It's going to happen. Pelosi's going to be the next Speaker of the House. That's just astonishing. That th- this is the only this is the only woman apparently the Democrats are able to put in this this position. Only anybody, male or female, Democrats are putting in this position of leadership. And I just sit here and I say to you, why is it that there's all this rhetoric from Democrats about you know the, the party of youth and and they, they talk about how in this last congr- this last uh, series of congressional elections they have. So much diversity, so much new idea, new new ideas, new thinking coming from Democrats. But then when it comes time for their leader, to pick their leader, it's Hasse Pelosi. Oh, man. Uh, it's going to be a help, I think, to Republicans uh, insofar as they can run on this a little bit because Pelosi is about as out of touch with normal Americans as any politician could ever be. But... She knows how to, She know, look, she's the one who got Obamacare through, so you're going to have a monolithic Democratic Party. Don't be surprised when you got that coming your way. Speaker Pelosi, it's going to happen. Buck gets results, my friends. Probably thinking, what is, what is he, what is he going to get all braggadocious about right now? I like, I like humble Buck. I don't like this bragging fellow. Well, I'm sorry, but this is one area, this is one issue where I feel like I'm allowed to not take a victory lap, but at least say that I was a bit ahead of the curve. Turns out that my hatred of mosquitoes, and I've told you about some of my battles with mosquitoes. I told you that, you know, I've been kept up all night. And I remember I had this light and I had to hold it to my chest and flick on my reading light whenever I hear it. You know, a little mosquito flying around my head. And, and I finally, it kept me up for hours one night in New York. I finally got him. And with one swipe of my hand and the, the red splatter on my wall, I couldn't get it out of the wall for like weeks afterwards, but it was worth it. Uh, I hate mosquitoes. And mosquitoes are the greatest animal foe of mankind, if you're not including single-celled organisms like viruses and things like that. Mosquitoes are the worst I guess actually a virus is not a, I know some of you are yelling at me. It's not, okay, I know it's not a technically a virus is not even really an organism. It's kind of something else. But the point being, the point being, mosquitoes are terrible. And I've been saying, why can't we, with all of our fancy technology, we landed a man on the moon. Or at least we created a video to make it seem like we did. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Silicon Valley researchers, it turns out, are attacking bloodsuckers in California's Fresno County. This is according to Bloomberg. It's the first salvo in an, in an unlikely war for Alphabet, the parent company of Google, eradicating mosquito-borne disease around the world. A white, high-top Mercedes... Oh, it goes into some background here. High-top Mercedes van, blah, blah. And here's how they're doing it. 
They are using a mosquito control technique with incredible potential. They have mosquitoes that were bred in an ultra high tech surrounding, uh, and they were infected with Walbotia, a common bacterium. When the 80,000 lab-bred Walbotia-infected male mosquitoes mate with their counterpart females in the wild, the result is stealth annihilation. The offspring never hatch. This is amazing. Just think about this, okay? For those of you, especially those of you who live in the warmer parts of the country, imagine if you never had to worry about mosquitoes again. By the way, it's people who say, oh, they're necessary for life, and bull crap. We have lost exponential amounts more species over the history of the planet than exist currently right now. We don't have to protect every species. I'm sorry. I know we're told this all the time. Oh, buck, but they're not. Nah, uh-uh. There are other bugs. There's no shortage of bugs out there. All right. The little birds, little tweet tweets flying around. They can find something else to chase after when they're tweet tweeting and eat. There's lots of little flies and things. They uh, mosquitoes are responsible for so much misery. Uh, there's so much misery, including the spread of dengue fever, chikungunya in the tropics, uh, and, and obviously West Nile, malaria, Zika. I mean, mosquitoes are the worst. And if they actually are able to come up with this way to prevent mosquitoes from breeding, I, I think this would be this would be fantastic. It's not just something that will make our camping trips more fun or going out fishing enough to worry now about I mean, it just, it gives me the, uh, it puts me on edge even just thinking about it. This, this would be one of those things in technology that really would help all of us. And it would save just millions and millions of lives. Think about that. We think of mosquitoes as a nuisance, but they're really deadly. And they put people through tremendous suffering. Malaria is, malaria is a horrible disease. Uh, I will say I was out with a buddy of mine, former agency buddy, not long ago, and he managed to work into a conversation. Yeah, I must have uh, missed that game. I was unable to watch because I was recovering from dengue fever. And the way he's slipped in the conversation, we're like, oh, sorry, most interesting man in the world, you know, with your your de- your rare tropical diseases from your travels abroad. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's it's really serious stuff. And and I've been saying that we should we should do this. We should eradicate all of them. Buck's war against the mosquitoes may get a big help here from... I would almost... Well, I was going to say, it almost cancel out for me the fact that Google is probably the most powerful single progressive company in the world now. Um, no, I won't go that far. But I, I am psyched about the prospect of a mosquito-free world. And it just goes to show you also, you know, I, I remember being taught in class, in science class, in like the fifth grade or sixth grade, you know, how all species are necessary. There's this pyramid for species, and if one goes away, then the rest of the pyramid falls down. I know we were little kids, but... That's obviously not true. What 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 species evaporated because we don't have the dodo bird anymore? I mean, dodo birds were kind of cute, but you know what? When a dude's running at you with a club, you should learn to run away. Survival of the fittest, baby. That's how we do it. All right, we got a wonderful edition of Roll Call and a little bit of a culinary adventure update in just a few moments. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. So I got to tell you all, I've really been struggling with my sauces. I've been trying so hard 
to get it down when it comes to deglazing the pen and reducing and because I think for me that's the next frontier in cooking. I am really solid now at searing meat and fish. I'm good at seasoning. I've I've built on those basic skills that I can cook for myself, for Miss Molly, and for whomever pretty well. Obviously, my eggs are world-class. My scrambled eggs are as good as any that you'll ever find. But I'm, I'm having a tough time with sauces. I mean, today, I was trying to cook for myself. And yes, was it for lunch? Sure. Does it seem a little aggressive to sear a couple of sirloins for lunch and make some Brussels sprouts on the side uh, that you had cut up bacon and roasted in a pan in the oven? No, that doesn't seem aggressive. That seems brilliant to me. But I, and I was using my Omaha sirloin steaks, by the way. And I, I know we have an, uh, an Omaha steaks uh, gift package on the show we've been talking about. I got one for myself. And the stuff is just delicious. I mean, the, the meat quality is really high. So I seared my Omaha steaks today. And the steaks were perfect. And I sear, I cooked them so well. But I tried to make a bourbon pan sauce. I actually have some uh, sorghum-based bourbon that I use because it's gluten-free instead of what you'd normally get. Anyway, everything was great, and then I added the cream at the end. I deglazed the pan. I added my chicken stock. I, I, had, I had seasoned well with salt and pepper. Obviously, used the butter in there, a bit of garlic, smashed the garlic down, and it looked perfect. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm basically a TV chef. Look at this. And then all of a sudden, it kind of turned and got really dark. And I, I guess I burned it after I added in the cream, but the sauce got burned. It still tasted pretty good because you put enough butter in anything, it'll be good. But man, it's all timing. You know, that's the problem I have with cooking. It's it's timing. Please pack your knives and go. And I was a little off my game. Anyway, my sirloins were delicious. I just had to pour some burned melted butter all over them instead of the bourbon pan sauce I was trying to use. So if any of you have any really good, simple sauce tips... But it has to be made from scratch. Don't say, oh, Buck, go buy some great barbecue sauce in the store. No, no, no. I want reduction sauces, things like that for steak, how to make a really good beurre blanc sauce, uh, stuff like that. Send it in my Facebook inbox, uh, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. All righty. We got uh, Kimberly writes in with uh, the following. Just got off a chat with ExpressVPN. Gonna order it. Hope you like it. Maybe it'll be better than all the other security stuff that I've spent money on every year. You know, Kimberly, it's it's a really great service. I really like mine, and I can tell you that you, you know, it's one of these things where it doesn't cost you a lot of money at all, and you don't have to worry about your data getting sold all over the place, which, think about it this way. I, I actually pay a service to prevent robocalls from coming to me now. Uh, it's just a couple dollars a month, but imagine for a moment... I actually was able to not get any emails that annoyed me or any phone calls that annoyed me. You know, what What would that be worth it, uh, worth to me? And the, the truth is, would I pay somebody for that? Absolutely. That information all gets packaged and bundled and sold to all these marketers. So, you know, ExpressVPN not only keeps you safe from hackers, also keeps your stuff from getting bundled and sold online, anonymizes your IP address, and I'm, I hope you really like it. Let me know what you think. Uh, Brittany writes, Hey Buck, check out the shirt in my profile picture. Shield tie, I love you. Well, Brittany, you are very sweet, and I appreciate very much that you're writing in uh, with a a Team Buck shirt on, uh, which is awesome. You look great in the Team Buck shirt. 
Thank you so much for your kind words. Much love. And uh, please write in again soon. Timothy writes, Shields, hi, Buck. My brilliant wife had an excellent idea. Let's have a bring your kids to work day at the border. Peace would break out and all the rock throwing would stop. My wife has an amazing sense of humor. We are podcast listeners. Both of us appreciate all your hard work. Timothy. Well, you know, Timothy, uh, yes, I think if journalists had to bring their kids to the border, they might have a different view of what it's like to have rocks getting thrown and have Border Patrol overrun. Uh, But also, very important that you just refer to your wife as your brilliant wife. You're going to have a long and happy marriage, my friend, from what I understand. I I don't know anything about marriage yet because I'm not married. Please don't send me any of your recommendations for rings, folks, and all that stuff. I got it, okay? I, I, I'm, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm on it. Uh, John writes, an action movie quote for you. You bring a horse for me? Looks like, looks like we're shy one horse. Slowly shakes head. You brought two too many. John, I have no idea. I'm guessing it's a Western because talking about horses. But I don't know. Uh, so you can write in and say you got me on the action movie quote. Also, if you guys want action movie quote Friday to come back, that's something you should let me know. I, I stopped doing it after a while because I felt like, one, it was a fun gag. I didn't want to overdo it. And two, it was really a, a way for me to get to talk to a lot of you, get to know a lot of you in the early days when I took over this, this radio slot, this three-hour radio show uh, from the previous host. And... You know, it just kind of faded as a lot of other things have that I've done on the show in the past because you know you got to keep things fresh and new. But if you think that that we should go back to maybe even once or twice a month doing some action movie quote Friday, I'm down, man. I love my action movie quotes, so let me know. David writes, Buck and awesome producers. It's David from New Jersey again. Great Tucker segment. In fact, you must incorporate Tucker's awesome intro for you and insert it into your opening montage. Right before Megyn Kelly says, it is Buck Sexton. That's actually uh, Kennedy, not Megyn Kelly. Tucker says, let's break it all down with Buck Sexton. It's so perfect, it sounds almost as if Tucker was auditioning for your opening monologue. Peace out and kudos again for, as Tucker said, a great fact-based presentation. Shields high, David. Well, David, thank you so much, man. I really, and that's a great recommendation, actually. Uh, we could pull that Tucker audio and and put that in the intro. So uh, I like I like it. Thank you so much for the suggestion, uh, producer Mike. Can you get on that? Can you pull the uh, Can you pull the Tucker audio so that we can do this? I think that's actually a, a, a good idea. Why don't we make that happen? So Mike, thank you so much, man. Or David, thank you so much. Mike is the producer. Willie. Hey, Buck, nice to see you on Tucker. If Mully does not, uh, uh Mully, Muller, Muller does not interview Debbie, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and her Pakistani regarding the DNC hacking, I will call his results fake. Well, Willie, get ready to call them fake, because I don't think Muller's going to do that. I think that you're going to see the Muller investigation is everything we have feared it was all along here. Uh, and that is highly, highly partisan. All right, now Eric writes, I will never buy another GM product again. I had a Chevy Colorado I put in $5,000 in repairs, never again. Well, you're not alone there, Eric. A lot of people I know are not particularly happy with their GM purchases in the past. Truth is, other auto companies just make better, more efficient cars that people want to drive more. So 
you know, it, it is the market speaking at some level. Catherine writes, great job with Tucker tonight. So precise and fact-based. You rock, Buck. Well, Catherine, you rock. Thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Great to uh, hear from you and appreciate the support. Josh writes, hey, Buck, I've got three things on my Christmas list. Fund the dang wall, split the Ninth Circuit, appoint multiple special counsels to investigate FISA abuse, DNC election fraud, Clinton Foundation thefts, and murders. Well, Josh, I don't know if Santa can make all that happen for you. Ho, 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 here's a special counsel. Clinton Foundation investigation coming right up. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think that's likely. But I, I appreciate that you're a man who... I you was know, looking at all the angles, and maybe maybe Santa could deliver this year, but I think you're going to be, uh, I don't think you're getting a lump of coal in your stocking, but I wouldn't leave out too much in the way of milk and cookies for Santa this year. Aaron writes, Buck, I just want to thank you so much for reading my tribute to my grandfather. I played it for my mom and aunt, who both wept. They were so happy you shared it with so many people. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Uh... P.S. I also told them to download your podcast. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. And uh, thank you very much for writing in and and also uh, for your grandfather's service. So um, really appreciate you writing and please keep keep it coming. Uh, Richard, on the next SCOTUS nominees, they'll probably try the same thing they tried with Sessions. They'll find a black person who's in the same room as, as her sometime in the last 35 years who will claim she used racist terms. And was condescending toward them. You know, Richard, you might be right. I mean, you know, the, the the racism, the false racism allegation is one of the favorite go-tos of the left. I mean, this is something that they absolutely, positively use whenever they can. And they're not going to be able to pull, I think, the sexism, sexist, predator, all that stuff. You know, what they tried with Kavanaugh against Amy Coney Barrett. But also, I'm not as confident as some other conservatives that there's even going to be a uh, there's even going to be a Supreme Court vacancy in, in this first Trump term. I think it's very possible that it will not it will not, in fact, uh, happen. You know, I think you may see Ginsburg choose not to retire specifically because she knows that Trump is the one who would be making the call. So, yep, that's where, that's that's my prediction. I got that going for me, which is nice. Team, it's already past the hump day, so we got a couple more days this week on the radio. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, please do send me your thoughts, facebook.com slash bucksexton, best way to do it. Until next time, my friends, shields high. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified and veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. Everybody needs to make sure when they're hiring people or they're thinking about a new possible property lease that they know who they're involved with. You need to have background checks done, no matter how large or small your business, and you want Global Verification to be the ones doing them. All right, they're headquartered in Chicago. They do this stuff day in and day out all across the country. And if you've got a particularly sensitive or particularly important case, you can contact them directly and make sure it gets handled properly. Check out the risk mitigation experts of Global Verification Network. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Make sure when you call them, tell them Buck Sexton sent you. Leave no stone unturned.